0: I'm Chad Maine, and this is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology and legal innovation. In today's episode, we talked to the chairman of Lex Machina, Josh Becker. Lex Machina helps lawyers mine and analyze litigation data to provide strategic insights about judges, law firms, parties, and other information related to lawsuits and legal matters. As Josh will explain, having this kind of data helps law firms and companies predict behaviors and outcomes that different legal strategies might bring about, enabling law firms to win business and their clients to win cases. Josh also talks about what it means to be a data-driven lawyer and where lawyers can start using analytics in their legal departments and law practice. I saw that in 1997, in the midst of the browser wars, you actually started your career in tech with Netscape. W- what was that like?
1: I was in and business school at the time. So I was starting out I really was a summer intern, a summer associate, but it was a fascinating time to be there because you had Microsoft gaining, still the core team with Mark Andreessen, you had Jim's Bar- Jim Barksdale as a leader, and he'd have to walk this balance of inspiring the troops. So warning about Microsoft and the real, very real threat that Microsoft uh, created for Netscape and our team but also inspiring people that they could do it. And it was a really interesting balance. And I learned a lot just watching Jim Barksdale in those all-company meetings. It was a fascinating time.
0: So, yeah, you got a JD, MBA, but you, didn't, you never really actually practice, right? You kind of went the VC route and the tech route and right. startup route.
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: what was the first thing you did when you got out, got out of law school and business school?
1: So when I got out, it was, it was 1999. And I'd been involved with an early internet startup at that point that had done well, uh, although it had its ups and downs. And so, um, and I was really looking at doing a a startup again. I'd also been involved while in law school, pitching, you know, a lot of business plan competitions and things like that. And so I kind of kept this real interest in startups And then the VC thing just kind of came around where it's like, wow, okay, this would be interesting to be on the other side for a little bit and just kind of get to see what it was like to evaluate lots of different plans to meet with entrepreneurs every day, which is the most fascinating part of that job, by the way. It's just, you know, every day you've got teams of entrepreneurs coming in. They're all excited and they're innovating in some sector of of the world. And anyway, really fascinating, fascinating time. But yeah that's what I decided to do ultimately was to to take a job in with Brentwood Venture Capital which was had started in the in the mode of I call it maybe the early to mid years of professional venture capital where we had a healthcare and information technology so there's three healthcare partners three IT partners and a couple in LA for you know two in LA four up in the bay area and got to be part of a, a team at a fascinating time Kind of towards the end of the first dot com wave. After working in the
0: VC and startup world for a while, Josh joined Lex Machina, a legal analytics company hatched at Stanford. Josh would go on to serve as CEO, and during his tenure, the company would be sold to LexisNexis.
1: Lex Machina, first of all, did start as a public interest project at Stanford Law School. So at a high level, it's meant to bring openness and transparency to the law. And for lawyers, it helps them win. It helps you win business. It helps you win cases by using data and analytics, data that you've never not been available before about a judge, about opposing party, about some actors in the ecosystem that will give you a competitive advantage.
0: And it started with a focus on intellectual property, but it's expanded its offerings. What all types of law or legal fields does it cover now?
1: Sure. So for the first really six years, it was really just patent. It was funded as a public interest project, as I mentioned, by folks who wanted better data about the patent system and what was happening and the you know, we had the patent wars and a rise in patent lawsuits and people just said there's gotta be better data out there. And so, you know, it took a long, long time, but that was we really perfected the technology, the the natural language processing and to some extent the machine learning as a patent database. And then realized, we said, hey, started talking to other lawyers, commercial employment, product liability. Said, hey, you know, would you like more data about the judge? Yes. Would you like, you know, better data about the opposing party? Yes. And then we expanded out into, first into securities and antitrust, and then to contracts, product liability, uh, employment, bankruptcy, and we continued to expand.
0: And how did you become involved with the company back in the day?
1: So I... Um, got involved with the Stanford Angels and Entrepreneurs, which was a new angel group being started at the time by Miriam Rivera, who had been the, the deputy general counsel of Google, and then and her her husband, Clint Corver, who had a PhD in decision science. And so she had this legal background, he had this decision science background, and they saw the potential of it. They had helped arrange the original seed funding. For three years, it was a public interest project at Stanford, and then spun out, realized it needed more capital. And uh, so Miriam got involved in Clinton and helping spin that. And then there was a, you know, uh, they needed someone to come in and help grow it. And they reached out to me and I came in as interim CEO. And that was in, uh, in July of 2011. And then starting in September of 2011, I became the, the full-time CEO.
0: And what's your current position with the company?
1: So we're part of LexisNexis. So LexisNexis, so the opportunity and the potential of analytics, and I'm going to credit them for that, for getting heavily involved in analytics before anyone else really thought about it. And we needed access to documents to grow. And those were documents that, that they had, for large part, you know, historical PACER documents that we needed. And um, so anyway, we started working with them. And, um, and so now I'm, I'm head of analytics for LexisNexis and really do kind of a lot of high-level meetings about the future of law as well as I run a legal tech accelerator that we have. Lexis has, we have nine companies right now, fascinating companies in our legal accelerator. And then I sort of advise Lex Machina, but I'm not involved day-to-day. Carl Harris runs Lex Machina now day-to-day, who was my head of product.
0: And you just mentioned the um, Lexus Nexus tech accelerator program. How do companies become involved in that? How do they apply? How are they selected? What's the process there?
1: So every time when we launch a new cohort, so it's usually in the fall, we'll put out a, A press release, an announcement, will say, hey, here's, um, you know, open up a new new cohort, you know, apply by this date. And then companies, you know, anyone can go through and apply. And then we'll spend the next, you know, three, four weeks vetting those companies. Uh, Narrowing down the list was really hard this year. We had a lot of great candidates, you know, eventually narrowed the list down to nine, which was the most we've ever had. And then they started the program, you know, back in September But yeah, we make it, you know, we make it available. We say, hey, great, we're starting a new cohort and then people can apply.
0: We're going to take a quick second away from our talk with Josh because I wanted to let you know that for each episode of Technically Legal, TLpodcast.com, there's an episode page. On that page, you'll find more information about our guests and links to a lot of the stuff we talked about. Also, I want to let you know if you want to get a hold of me to find out more about my company, Percipient or you have questions or comments about the podcast, you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Also, as 2019 winds down, I want to take this chance to say thanks to all my listeners for supporting the podcast and all the positive feedback I get. I hope you have a great holiday season. It'll be a few weeks before the next podcast comes out, but we have some great guests lined up for 2020 and some great topics to cover. All right, let's get back to our talk with Josh. Being a data-driven lawyer is a concept near and dear to Josh's heart. What is a data-driven lawyer? According to Josh, it's a lawyer that stays ahead of competition and differentiates their services by leveraging tech and analytics to provide measurable value to their clients. Data-driven lawyers use analytics to figure out what strategies to use in front of particular judges, which clients to pursue for business, and what strategy legal opponents are likely to use. As Josh also explains, analytics can also be used to figure out which lawyers to hire to represent your company.
1: You're not going to you know, replace legal research and reasoning. That's still the core part of what a lawyer does. But we want to now augment that with data. So too often in law, historically, everything has been anecdote driven, right? It's like, oh, you know, who's been in front of this judge before? What have you heard? What's this judge been like? Uh, What do you think our strategy should be, right? Or what was my experience this one time in front of this judge? Or you know, we think he's got a tendency to do this or she has a tendency to do that. And there just wasn't, you know, it's just never been hard data around it. And so we now make that data available and lawyers can then analyze that data and they make, and as I say, they may make the same decision they were going to make otherwise and set the same strategy or they make, may make a completely different one, but now it's at least it's a data driven decision, right? That's what we like to say. It doesn't mean there's no place for gut or feel or instinct But it means, okay, let me consult the data. And if the judge has tend to behave in this way, or this is how long it takes key milestones, okay, that's going to help me inform my strategy. And let me make a data-driven strategy for this case.
0: Some of the stuff you talked about there is to just generalize is geared towards litigators or maybe in-house legal departments, the IP arms or the litigation arms of in-house corporate legal departments so they can weigh whether or not they should pursue a claim or how to defend a claim, settle, et cetera. I think recently you went out and talked to managing partners of law firms, managing partners to talk about using data to grow and augment their law firms. What did you find out there, and what was the purpose for these meetings? And what were you what were you looking for? What were you trying to explain?
1: Yeah, and I still do that. So I'm, I'm going in. You know, I met with the uh, CEO of Latham recently when I was in New York, and other senior leaders. And and yeah, it's really fun because I get a chance to have these conversations with these leaders and talk about what role they see data analytics having in their firm. And, you know, I tell them, you know, some of the best practices that I've seen now, you know, across, you know, working across many different firms and companies and kind of share some of the new developments that I'm seeing in the marketplace. You know, a lot of them happen to be from Lexus, but some other ones as well, uh, or what's happening with our legal, you know, accelerator companies. And it's really interesting. And you know, sometimes it's the law firm leaders are not very well versed in in the technology and and, you know, and you can tell that they're they're sort of holding back the firm a little bit. Other times, you know, they're really excited about it and they say, Hey, you have to help me bring my firm along. You know, we want to do this, but you know, our partners are just not there yet, right? So it's very interesting, you know, how that goes. And so it's just been It's been a continual evolution. And, you know, again, when we first started talking about this, people were like, what? Analytics? Data? You know? And now it's becoming more and more accepted. And people want to know, okay, what does it mean for our firm? How can we harness it? You know, I've I've seen firms now that are having innovation days just for perspective, you know, graduating law students just to show that they are on top of the innovations in law. And that if someone comes to practice there, they're going to have access to all the latest technology. And so, it's really interesting but it's still pretty early days I would say
0: so it seems like part of it is educating you get out there you want to educate law firm leaders about what data can do opportunities it presents analytics etc you mentioned best practices what do you mean by that what's the type of education you're providing to these managing partners and law firm leaders
1: well when I say best practices it's you know again now having kind of been doing this probably longer than anyone in, in um, for an analytics space and just from from all the conversations that i've had to see what's working firms and what's not working i mean so for example and we were very clear about this from from the beginning when the thing in silicon valley too often you have technology searching for a problem to solve right and luckily lex market didn't start that way because we had a bunch of companies and law firms saying hey we want better data right we already have the problem how can you know how can we get better data and ultimately partnering up with Stanford to, to start that, that discovery process. But the point is you have to be very use case focused. And so a lot of times in legal technology, someone might say, hey, great, I've got this cool new technology. It's like, okay, well, okay, well how are people really going to use it? And then once um, even once you establish the use cases, how do you get adoption within a firm? Because you may have people that have been doing things one way for 20, 30, 40 years, right? How do you convince them that they should you know, make this part of their practice? And so I've you know been able to see some firms, I think, that have done that really well and been able to then take that and sort of translate into other firms, which is about like, who needs to champion this? What kind of trainings, what do you do those trainings? You know, what kind of incentives do you put in place for lawyers to get, to get up to speed and, and have the ability to use this technology and, and embrace this technology. So when I talk about best practice, very much it's, it's that it's, you know, what have I seen within firms to embrace this kind of technology and get their, encourage their, their lawyers to, to do so, so that you get wide adoption. I mean, you know, they're spending the money now for these for this product. Okay, great. How do you get value from it? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. And so beyond the education part, beyond the exposure, beyond talk about legal tech, to those law firm leaders and managing partners who get it maybe a little ahead of the curve or what's resonating with them? What are the types of questions they're asking you? What types of um, legal tech or what types of uh, processes are they trying to tackle to provide value to the firms?
1: It's a couple of things. If they're some litigators or transactional lawyers, and they may ha- come at it with a different perspective. One thing that resonates with anyone is how can you use data to win more business for your firm? So from a law firm perspective, how do you use data now to compete more effectively and to put your best foot forward and to say, Hey, do you know that in this district, in these kinds of cases, we've got the most experience or the best success rate, or look at our strategy. You can sort of see it here. So how do they use data then to put their best foot forward and win more business for their firm? That you know, tends to resonate with everyone. And then how do you use data then to uh, understand the judge better? Not just from the perspective that we've been talking about it from, you know, the time to trial and all those pieces, but also integrating context. Context is another product that Lexis recently launched. It's actually also started out of a Stanford uh, project uh, that really is about interpreting the language. What language does this judge tend to cite? What cases does this judge tend to cite and what language within those cases does that judge tend to cite? And so getting insights into how do you speak in a way that that this judge will will hear, right? So talk about it from that perspective that tends to resonate with both winning business and winning cases, because winning cases ultimately is about repeat business. And then talk about the transactional side as well. Many firms are now saying, hey, um, I've done 20 years in these kinds of cases, or I've represented all these different Biotech clients in phase two, you know, post phase two negotiations with big pharma or whatever it is. How do I mine my internal data so I can? Um, or I've done all these kinds of M and A deals. How can I mine my internal data to both serve my customers better, my clients better, and to you know, kind of create efficiencies and. And um, maybe there's a practice that's commoditizing and how do I be able to compete effectively in that using, you know, leveraging my past transactional data. Or it might be in the case of, of a transactional situation where someone's trying to mine SEC data and they're trying to figure out, great, you know, what are risk factors that, are, that people are citing in their 10 Qs and uh, what's trending, what should I be on the lookout for? And then they'll use Alexa's product called Intelligize which again was another acquisition. So you, you see this theme of bringing together best of breed products, and that's a leading product to to search SEC documents. And so you, the people get then to say, oh, okay, okay, I get it. How can you help us in that area? What about tools for MA due diligence? Well, there's a lot of those kinds of tools and a lot of folks that are doing now contract analytics. And so sometimes that will really resonate with firm leaders. I mean, ultimately, some of them are interested in the bottom line, right? How pricing, right? Some of them are beginning pressure because they're having to do more capped deals where they're not allowed to spend more than a certain amount, or maybe there is a fixed fee. And they're trying to say, okay, great. How do we bid on a deal like that? Right? How do we make sure that we can make money for our firm while also getting the best result?
0: That's an interesting point you you brought up too, a couple of the things I read and your other presentations. A lot of times the law firm leaders you've been talking to about data analytics. It's about the bottom line. How do we use this to get more business? And I think you've pointed out that sometimes the use in marketing is overlooked. Well, how can lawyers use data and analytics about legal matters to get business?
1: So far, up till now, it's been mainly relationship oriented, right? Hey, you know, we went to law school together <laughs> or um, you know, some other way of, hey, I met you at this conference. Hey, I do, you know, I do this, I do that. Let's try to you know, give me a shot, essentially. Or, you know, again, just reputation of certain firms. Oh, yeah, that, you know, that firm's really expensive. Therefore, they must be really good. (laughs) Um, And so, again, we're just trying to add data to that equation now. So a lawyer can see, for example, they may do a few matters for a company. And then now with Lex Machina, they can see, okay, well, who else is that company using? And then they can you know, see how they stack up and, and try to use data to compete and say, you know, I have a faster time to trial or, you know, my firm has a lot more experience in front of this judge. Here, look at this data. Therefore, you know, you should go with me for the next matter.
0: A lot of this big data stuff can seem overwhelming. So as I like to do with most of my guests, I asked Josh for legal teams can start to use data and analytics in their practices.
1: Certainly if they're a litigation attorney, and again, we started out at the federal level because of the availability of PACER. And now moving more and more into the state, the problem at the state level, you know, if you really want to do real analytics, you need access to the underlying documents as well. And that's generally not been available consistently at a state level. And so it ends up being very, very expensive to, if you really want to do it right. And and now lots of people, by the way, just as a warning to your listeners now that we've proven out the market, lots of people are slapping on, including big companies, a label and saying, "Oh, we have analytics too, right?" And the reality is, no, you really don't or you don't have the accurate underlying data, and bad analytics are worse than no analytics <laughs> right um, if you don't have the right if you're not basing on the right data set, you're going to see a pretty graph and it's going to lead you off in the wrong direction so anyway, I'd say that if you're a litigator, you know call us up, check out the examples on the website. Uh, maybe there's a report that we have that you want to get access to in in an area that you're practicing in. So every time we go into a new area, we do a report with insights that no one really knew before, right? About the judges in that area, about the, you know, companies in that area, who's getting sued the most, who's winning, who's losing, all that sort of stuff. And that might be, you know, a a good way. And then I'd say, just try to get your hands on these tools and play around with them yourselves. Because, you know, again, in the case of Lex know we've Tried to make it very intuitive, more like an airline flight.
0: What do you mean by that? We want to make it like an airline flight.
1: Well, what I was going to say is that ultimately, you're just putting together a case list. And then we roll up analytics automatically on that case list. So you as the lawyer are saying, you know, I want to see cases in this district involving these parties, involving this subject matter in this time frame, right? And then we'll roll up analytics on that. And then you say, well, let me, instead of looking at the last two months, let me look at the last six months. Or just the last six weeks in that district. You know, or instead of this party, let me, you know, include these three other parties as well. And so then you can you can move the dials up and down and get to different kinds of case lists and then we'll automatically roll up the analytics. That's the way it's we designed it and I think that's hopefully a good way of, of helping people visualize how it how it works. So I think just kind of getting the you know, getting your, your hands on it and then just playing around with yourself because it is pretty in, intuitive. I think you know, especially a lot of law firm partners don't always put their hands on legal research these days. They, you know, they'll maybe outsource some of that. Whereas this, um, a lot of the analytics, you know, we call keep the tab open. You know, you hear about a party, you hear about a a lawyer, you know, just put it in, just do a search and see what comes up. So that can be pretty intuitive. But the last thing I was going to say is I like, like this podcast. There's more and more resources out there where people can get a sense of what some of these technologies are and how it can help them.
0: So you mentioned case law just a second ago, too. That That's another area where there's AI and analytics and, and driving some of that, too. There's there's products out there like Ravel that might be a good place to start for lawyers to take a look at what tech can do for
1: them, too, right? And Ravel, when, so when I referred to context earlier, Ravel has the Ravel technology, which you referred to, was also came out of Stanford, to, again, focus on this legal language. So uh, less about behavior, which is what Lex Machina focuses on, and more about analyzing, uh, doing language analytics and understanding that judge. And so Ravel has now been integrated into the Lexus core and relaunched as a product called Context. So when I was referring to Context earlier, that is Ravel. And so absolutely, it's another really fun one. And it also has great visualization technologies that now Lexus has built in as well to allow people to uh, visualize you know the citations and in a really fun cool way that I think people will enjoy playing around with I think you just want people to understand that this is still early days and it's a great time to you know they're not too early they're not too late this is a, a great time to uh, engage and, and understand what's out there and and uh, educate themselves well
0: great Josh thanks for being here today if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about Lex machina where can they do that
1: so uh, www.lexmachina.com, and yeah, for me personally, feel free to reach out, Jay Becker at lexmachina.com. Well, that's it for another episode of Technically Legal. As always, we
0: really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can catch us on most major podcasting platforms like Stitcher, Google, Apple, Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you like us enough, I hope you leave us a nice review. If you want to get a hold of me. You can email me at cmain at percipient.co. That's C-M-A-I-N at percipient.co. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Technically Legal.